Jesus, would you use your word to make us strong the way you were strong? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, my wife and I took our kids to Disneyland. And we have taken them there before, but the last time they were very young. And so all we could do were the lame rides, you know, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh and Alice in Wonderland. And it's a small world like 50 times. Right? And each time I would think, yeah, there's seven minutes of my life I'm never getting back. <laughs> Plus that song just gets permanently in your brain, right? I mean, I have forgotten a lot about calculus and chemistry, but it's a small world after all. There to stay. And now it's in your head for the rest of the day, too. Just sharing the joy. But this time they were older, so we could do all the cool rides, the Splash Mountain, Matterhorn, Indiana Jones, all that stuff. And my kids loved it. Until I die, I will remember the sound of my son laughing the whole way we were on the Matterhorn. So much more interesting than It's a Small World 50 times. And that's how Jesus is. So much more interesting. So much more interesting than we let him be. One of the things I'd hear people say a lot when I taught at the university was, ah, Christianity, that's just so conventional, so middle class. And I think, are you kidding me? They clearly did not know the story that we just read where Jesus marches into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the first thing he does, the first thing he does is goes to the temple and overturns the merchants' tables. Now the reason he does that is because back then in order to worship at the temple you needed two things, an animal to sacrifice and money for an offering which had to be paid in special temple currency, both of which the merchants were willing to provide for a huge fee, which meant that it was, made it po impossible for poor people to worship in the temple. Plus, the merchants were blocking what was called the court of the Gentiles, where people who did not know about God could come and hear about him, and they were blocking that. And this makes Jesus, Jesus so angry, he turns over all their tables and drives them out of the temple. That is not conventional. That is revolutionary. One of the most prevalent stereotypes of Jesus is that he is meek, mild, nice. The problem with that is it bears no resemblance to the Jesus in the Bible, who was loving, yes, but also a fierce warrior because love is not a tame emotion. It's strong and can turn even the most docile of us into warriors. Just look at how parents protect their children. The other thing that's wrong with the Jesus is nice stereotype is it's not a very appealing view of Jesus. Nice isn't exactly a compliment. It's kind of wimpy. It's like in high school, if a girl said to you, you know, Scott, you're just so nice. You knew you were never going to date that girl, right? <laughs> that never happened to me. That was a hypothetical. That... <laughs> a friend had that. Scott Dean. <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he was loving, but he was not nice, and he certainly wasn't conventional. He came to start a revolution in a couple of areas. And the first is, Jesus wants to revolutionize your life and mine by eliminating anything that blocks you from him. Just like he drove out the merchants who were blocking folks from being able to worship in the temple, Jesus loves you so much, 
He wants to get rid of anything that stands between you and him. And that can be a lot of things. Maybe it's a destructive behavior you're doing that is diminishing your life. Jesus can give you strength to stop doing that so you have more joy. Maybe it's guilt or shame over something in your past. Jesus, if you'll let him, can make you feel so loved that it will drive the shame right out of your life and erase that memory. Maybe there's a relational or a financial or a health problem that is hurting you. Jesus is going to want to clean that up in one of two ways. Either by eliminating it outright, which he does sometimes. And if you've been around this church for a while, you've heard me tell stories of people miraculously healed of diseases, seeing God's miraculous provision in time of need. Or even if the miracle doesn't happen, Jesus will bring good out of the hard times and use them to make himself more real to us. A woman in my former church had cancer, and at one point she had to have a full-body MRI scan. She hates enclosed places. And as she was in the MRI tube, the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, just popped into her head. And suddenly she just felt these crazy amounts of courage in her. And that Jesus was right there with her, not as an idea she heard in church, but really there. And she just felt brave, and that courage lasted all the way for her through cancer treatment until she was in remission and even to this day. Jesus used the cancer to give her a sense of his presence that was real and powerful, and she is permanently different, more brave. He removed a barrier and got close to her. That's his mission, to take down any barrier between us and God. I know another woman who had recently been hurt by some of her friends and was feeling unloved because of that and was feeling even unloved by God. And one night her husband was praying for her and he got this picture in his head that was so out of the box he knew it had to be God, of an ice cream sundae. And he said to his wife, Honey, if, if life is an ice cream sundae, then God is the ice cream, the topping, the whipping cream, and the cherry on top. And your friends, they're the nuts. <laughs> they're just the nuts. That's all they are. God is everything else. He is all you need. And as goofy as that thing was, it worked for her. She felt like Jesus was with her, realized God loves her, her husband loves her, even those friends probably didn't mean it, and they love her. But mostly she felt loved by God and felt connected to him. Jesus removed a barrier through a goofy image. So Jesus loves you so much, he wants to come into the temple of your life and get rid of anything that is blocking you from experiencing him. What is that thing? As we head into Easter next week, will you pray this prayer, Jesus, invade my life and turn over anything that keeps me from you? The second thing that Jesus wants to revolutionize is religion, which he hates. He hates religion. Religion is about going through the motions and cultural Christianity. Jesus wants to revolutionize religion so that it becomes real, life-giving, empowering relationship with him in which we partner with him in the rescue of this world. He also wants to revolutionize the ways that religious, religion sometimes keeps people away from him. After Jesus gets rid of the merchants who were blocking people from the temple, the text says that then the blind and the lame came to him for healing in the temple. That had never happened before. Because the blind and the lame were considered unclean, so they weren't supposed to even go anywhere near the temple. And sometimes that's what religiosity, not relationship with Jesus, but religiosity, that's sometimes what it does. It keeps people away from Jesus. I've told you in the past that the surest way for me to kill a conversation with someone that I've just met is when they ask me what I do for a living and I tell them. 
right? I'm a pastor and their face just falls, which does wonders for my sense of self-esteem, right? <laughs> my brother is a sales rep for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So my dad jokes that one of his sons is a pastor, the other one sells drugs. <laughs> I'm going to start saying I'm the drug dealer. Go over way better than pastor, right? Because when people hear it, they say things like, oh, man, if I set foot in a church, building would fall in on me. I'm so sinful. I'm not welcome there. A couple of years ago, we were doing our annual Martin Luther King joint celebration with Mount Calvary. That's a church in the central district of Seattle. Some of you might remember this. In the middle of the service, our burglar alarm suddenly went off. Who knows why, right? We had all these guests from Mount Calvary. We were talking about racial reconciliation and being together, and the alarm goes off. And what's worse is it's a talking alarm, which I did not know until that moment. And it said, you have entered a secure area. Leave immediately. <laughs> and I thought, man, as metaphor, this is not good, right? <laughs> Get out of our church, right? But I also have to admit that in that moment, my first thought was, oh, this will so preach. This is a great sermon illustration. So here it is. Because that's often what people feel when they hear the word church or Jesus. I'm going to get judged. I'm not welcome there. But one of the things I love about Jesus is he brought the outsiders in and he hung out with all the people he wasn't supposed to. Thieves and prostitutes and extortioners, all kinds of folks. Now, he didn't condone their destructive behavior. He didn't say to the extortioner, a.k.a. tax collector, hey, that extortion thing you got going there, awesome lifestyle choice. He did not say that. But he also didn't condemn them. Instead, he did a third thing. He believed in who they could be. He saw them in their original design, the design the Father gave them from the beginning of all time. And he believed that in their heart they could be that person. And he believed in them so much that they became that person. Over time, they were changed. Which thoroughly irritated the religious people. In fact, after Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, they'd had enough. They, that was the last straw. They, said they decided to crucify him. But he wrecked their plans when he rose from the dead three days later, which just made them all the more angry. Jesus revolutionizes our lives. He revolutionizes religion. And finally, he wants to revolutionize our world. If you've been coming here since September, you'll know that we're preaching through the Bible this year. And the theme for this year is called God's Great Pursuit. Because from the beginning of the Bible, the picture of God that emerges is of God on a mission to take back what the devil has stolen from him, his world and his people. And that mission culminates in Jesus, who is God himself in human form, who invades planet Earth to roll back the margins of evil until his kingdom comes on Earth just as it's being done in heaven, so that folks who feel far from him will know him in a personal way, so that folks who've been oppressed will know justice, so that folks who are broken in body, soul, or spirit will find healing, so that down here starts to look a whole lot more like up there. And when it comes to rolling back evil and ushering in his kingdom, he is not nice, he is not conventional, he is a warrior. Especially when it comes to defending people who are weak and oppressed, the poor, the hurting, the outcast, children. A while back, someone on our staff had to have their car fixed, but the mechanic wasn't being completely honest. And this person didn't know a lot about cars, and felt that they might be getting taken advantage of. So a man on our staff who knows about cars and is a fairly assertive person 
went with this person to meet with the mechanic. Wasn't rude, wasn't mean, but was very strong and got him to be fair. That is an appropriate use of strength. Yes, Jesus calls us to love our enemies and forgive others, but he also calls us to defend the weak and to seek justice, which means defending the defenseless when others take advantage of them. And we need to place equal emphasis on Christ's command to turn the other cheek as we do on his command to defend the weak. Because he calls us to do both. And this is where Jesus' revolution gets really exciting to me. Because he invites us to participate in his rescue mission to this world. Now, I don't think that means that we go out there and get all judgmental and belligerent and all of that. Because no, Jesus is all about inviting outsiders in, right? So I don't think it means we go out there and get all judgmental and yell at people and all of that. Because here's the thing. There is a difference between righteousness and self-righteousness. And that is a crucial difference, as it turns out. But Jesus does call us to use our strength appropriately. And there are many forms of strength. Some of us have money and influence that we can use to help others. All of us have talents and skills that we can use to help others. And if we do that with courage and boldness, our lives go from conventional to revolutionary. They go from, it's a small world after all, to an amazing roller coaster ride that's going to terrify you, but also invigorate you at the same time. As I've said before, the goal of life is not to proceed cautiously so that we get to the grave safely in a well-preserved body. It is to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, shouting at the top of our lungs, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. There's a man named Henri Nouwen who died recently, and he was a priest and a professor at Harvard and Yale, also wrote a lot of books. And at one point, he spent 10 years living in a community for people who are severely mentally or physically challenged. And there was a guy in that community named Trevor who had severe mental challenges and was sent to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. Well, now one wanted to see him, so he called the hospital to arrange a visit. And the, when the authorities found out he was coming, they knew his reputation. So they said, well, could we have lunch with you in the Golden Room, whatever that is, and invite doctors and PhDs to meet you, and would you speak? And now one said, sure. Well, he showed up, and they took him into their fancy dining room with all of these big shots, but Trevor wasn't there. So he said, where's Trevor? And they said, well... Trevor can't come because patients and staff aren't allowed to, to have lunch together. Besides, no patient has ever been in the golden room. Seemed to matter to them, right? Now, the conventional thing to do at that point would probably be to say, well, okay, you're the boss, it's your hospital, you're in charge, I'll see him after lunch. And by nature, Henri Nouwen was, a, was not a confrontational person at all, kind of mild-mannered, hated conflict, but he felt one of those nudges that he knew was from Jesus. Because, see, here's the thing. When Jesus is your pilot, all of life becomes an, an adventure. And it can happen in just the darndest places. You know, your office, your neighborhood. He just gives you these nudges. And we got to learn to recognize those nudges through prayer because they lead us to adventure. The thought that came into Nouwen's mind was, insist on Trevor. Community is about inclusion. I bring outsiders in. Insist on Trevor. And he knew it wasn't his thought because he hated confrontation. So he said to the authorities, he said, well, you know what? The whole reason I'm here is to have lunch with Trevor. So if Trevor isn't allowed to attend this lunch, I won't attend it either. No Trevor, no me. Well, there was some arguing and debating, but finally they let Trevor attend the lunch. 
Well, everyone in the room was excited. This famous academic was with them, and they started to posture and jostle to get next to Henri Nouwen so that they could go tell their friends, I said this to Henri Nouwen this week, you know, and feel all important and all that. While all this was going on, at one point, Trevor stood to his feet, lifted up his glass of water, and said, I will now offer a toast. And everyone got real nervous, like, what is going to happen, right? And Trevor then, this deeply challenged man in a room full of PhDs and doctors, started to sing. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. Awkward. <laughs> right? Nobody knew what to do, right? But here was this deeply challenged man just beaming because he was so thrilled to be there. So what could they do? They started to sing very quietly at first, as PhDs are wont to do, but, you know, <laughs> louder and eventually louder until they were all shouting doctors and PhDs and clergymen, almost shouting, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. Well, now one went on to, to, to give a talk, probably brilliant, but the moment God spoke the most, the moment everybody is going to remember, is how much joy they had when Trevor sang a joy that came to the person they would have said was least likely to speak for God. They thought they came to hear Henri Nouwen. Instead, they heard God through Trevor. Because Nouwen, a non-confrontational, mild-mannered man, decided to follow his revolutionary Lord and insist on including Trevor and revolutionize what was sure to be a conventional and, let's be honest, somewhat dull academic lunch into an unforgettable moment. And barriers came down, and folks experienced God. And an outsider was brought inside. And Trevor, who was hurting, was given a moment of healing and dignity. It was not nice of Nowen to disrespect the hospital's rules that way and to insist on Trevor. It was not nice, but it was very, very good. So how can you participate in Jesus' revolution? Maybe that's just in your own life by saying, Jesus, come into my life and get rid of any barrier between you and me. Maybe come to all three of our Holy Works Week services this week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and just listen to what God might want to say to you this week. And Easter has a lot more power if you do those other services. Or maybe it's to ask Jesus how you can participate with him in his rescue of this world. In your office, maybe, by including someone on the outside, or by tutoring an at-risk teen at at, at, at Eastside Academy or Jubilee Reach Center, or maybe sticking up for someone who's defenseless or caring for a neighbor in need. Because when you do, your life will become a lot more interesting, a lot more exciting, filled with power, victory, courage, and joy. I remember seeing a news story years ago where a reporter was interviewing some Seahawks players. This was a long time ago, and I can't remember which players, but at the time, several of the Seahawks players were Christians. And before a game, they would all get together and pray. Well, one of the other players didn't like that. So he made a comment to the press that all this Jesus stuff was making his teammates weak and that if they just spent less time praying and got Jesus out of the locker room, then maybe the Seahawks would win more games. Well, this reporter then went and asked one of the Christian guys, how do you feel about that comment? How do you feel about one of your players wanting to kick Jesus out of the locker room? And the Christian player said, figures. See, that's our problem as a team. We're always trading our best players. <laughs> Jesus does not make us weak. He makes us strong. He makes us brave. He makes us bold. Whether that's facing cancer or financial 
problems or, or our own fears or moving out into his world to partner with him in rescuing it. Jesus makes us strong. He is, after all, God Almighty in human form. He made the lamb, but he also made the shark, the tiger, and the bear. He crushed Pharaoh's army, split the Red Sea in two, chopped down Goliath, and he rose from the dead. The Bible calls him the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of hosts, the Great I Am, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the name that is above every other name. He's the rock of our salvation, the scepter of Israel, our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days. He is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He is Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and friends. He is on our side. Somebody say amen. amen. And that is good news. Lord Jesus, only you can make us brave like you were brave. So whether it is facing our inner demons, facing a health problem, a financial problem, or partnering with you in the rescue of your world, make us strong and make us bold and make us brave. And Jesus, we will point to you as the author of our courage. We ask this in your name. Amen.